welcome to episode 32 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about the online sewing world with two of its longtime leaders, Kathy Mack and Kristen Link. Kathy Mack is a passionate sewist and quilt maker. She designs and publishes sewing patterns as Pink Chalk Studio. She's also the proprietress of Pink Chalk Fabrics, an online fabric store for modern sewists. She's recently made a sharp right turn in her creative business journey, making the decision to reinvent her Pink Chalk brand to better align with her life's purpose. Kathy Mack, welcome. Thank you, Abby. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Kristen Link is the owner of Sew Mama Sew, a blog founded in 2005, which currently hosts nearly 500 sewing tutorials. Kristen has a background in education and instructional design. She's contributed to several sewing books and magazines and has filmed two free classes with Craftsy. She lives in Oregon with her two daughters and husband. Kristen Link, welcome. Hi, Abby. Hi. Um, I'm so happy to have both of you on the show. Thank you for joining me. One of the things I want to talk about with both of you is what it's like to make a major transition in the structure of what you're doing with your business because I think that can be a really scary thing to face, but it can also save your business from becoming a burden or from disappearing completely. So, um, Kristen, we'll start with you. Tell me about the early days of Sew Mama Sew, back in 2005 or even earlier when you were in the planning phases. What was your vision and, like, what was the operation like way back when? Well... Um, so Mama So started as a spin-off kind of of a I had a, a baby line, a, a line of baby clothes. And I was um selling to um, you know, small boutiques around the country and I was buying fabric by the bolt. And there were some fabrics that I didn't use. Um and uh so I started like just kind of unloading those on my website. And um, some of the fabrics that I was selling were, were harder to find, and um, there just wasn't a lot of online fabric stores at the time. And I was having a hard time sourcing kind of hip, cool fabrics that I, that I wanted um, to use. And I think there were just really a handful of, of online fabric stores. And so I started to get this idea like, oh, I, I really would love to do this and just curate some really amazing fabrics and um and so I started a another site at the same time and then I sold the baby business and and I um launched so mama so okay so that explains the name yeah yeah the 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 baby business was called go goose go and so then I had go goose go and so mama so at the same time which is adorable and totally goes together (laughs) Uh, I do wonder now when you know and we'll talk about sort of what's happened between then and now yeah now how are you feeling about the name and have you considered a name change or have you just decided this is what it is and we're gonna keep going yeah, I mean, I do, I do, you know, have, of course, have some regrets about that. And, um, but I just, I think it's just, um, it's stuck there. I, I think it would be really hard for me to rebrand with the same kind of content and, and a name change. Yeah. And it's funny. I actually had that same feeling. Like I started <laughs> my blog as well. She naps before I had any idea at all of what was going to happen. And so, yeah. Now here we are, and it just is what it is, you know. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So so here we are. You started this business selling these uh, curated fabrics, and that is what So Mama So and was. And so it changed though as time went by. Um, so tell me, kind of like the middle era, like what okay. happened in the middle. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that very first year that I had the fabric shop open, I started a blog and, um, and that was, that was new too, because I, there weren't a lot of business blogs. Like I knew some friends who had personal blogs and they were more like journals, you know, more like a diary. And, um, 
But I started a blog to write some sewing tutorials and things like that. And um, Beth Wilson, who works with me still, was one of my customers at the time. And somehow we started a conversation through email. And I said, do you want to like write for my blog? And she said, yes. <laughs> and so um, we we started that. And then a, uh, within a couple of years... Um, the blog was really gaining popularity. Actually, it's, it kind of started right away. It wasn't, uh, you know, there just wasn't a lot of competition. There weren't a lot of sewing blogs. There weren't a lot of online fabric stores. So we got in pretty early and were able to to get some followers. Um, and then the blog just grew and grew over time to the point where um, it was time-consuming, but it was, you know, in some ways it was driving fabric um, traffic to the fabric store, but in other ways it felt like a separate business altogether. And so um, at some point I realized that I really was running two different businesses, but one of them was um, not revenue generating. It was kind of revenue sucking the blog because of all of our, um, the traffic was just, you know, created really outrageous uh, server fees. So I, I realized that I need to make a decision here. And at that point, I chose to close the fabric store and monetize the blog. That is so interesting. So, right, you had two separate arms of the business. One was basically a media arm and one was like a sewing supplies, patterns, fabric arm. Yeah. And it's the one that was generating revenue is the one you decided to close. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I just did some number crunching and realized, you know, that I could probably do better um, monetizing the blog and have less of uh, because no matter what, if I kept the fabric store open, I would have to keep the blog going. Um, you just can't have a, a business, I don't think, without without a blog to support it. Right. So it was either keep both open, which is running two businesses, or pick the blog. That was yeah. the choice. I mean, and it's not literally two businesses, but to me and my workload, it felt like um, my my mind was divided between two things, between selling fabric and managing those employees and between uh, almost being like an editor no, I kind of think of it as being like a magazine editor of this, this, like you said, a media um, business. And so it's not, it wasn't literally two businesses, but, you know, the blog was supporting the business, but still it was two different mindsets. Right. Okay. So did you have, when we're talking about the fabric side, did you have like a warehouse or a storefront of some kind? Where were all the bolts kept and where were the employees who were doing the cutting and the packaging? Where were they like coming to work? Yeah, we had, I had a space that was in a, it was in an office building. So it wasn't uh, open to the public, but it was, you know, definitely offsite. And so they, my employees would go to work there every day. Okay. And how many employees did you have, roughly? Um, five. Okay, so you had five employees, and so you had to let them go when you closed that portion of your business. Yes. yes. So you shifted to just being you and your partner, Beth. Exactly. Okay, so that's a pretty major shift. You gave up an outside space, and you gave up employees who were working for you. Um, and, really, I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. Yeah, it was really hard. Yeah, I was going to say, was there like some ego involved in saying to yourself, "Well, this part—not that it failed, because it wasn't failing." I mean, but that you know, you're going to let go of this part of the vision. Absolutely, I think the ego part kept me hanging on for way longer than really I should have. Um, I think I had the idea you know, the realization that I could probably make a go of just, um, having the blog as my business, maybe a year and a half before I actually cut loose and, uh, and did that. So I, d I definitely think, I mean, there's, there's this attachment to my employees and there's this attachment to my vision of the fabric store. There was my love of, you know, curating the fabrics and, and all of that. So all of that kept me hanging on for longer than I should have, probably. And then when you made the announcement, which I'm sure was kind of a scary day, 
Um, I actually remember that day. Um, but yes, I do. But um, uh, when you made that announcement and and sort of let everyone, all your readers and all your customers know, hey, you know what, we're going to do something major here and shift directions. What was that like for you, and, and what were their reactions? Well, the, my I kind of did it in. Um, in a couple of phases, the first thing I did was I um, I spent probably I don't know at least a month drafting a bunch of emails to um, to my fabric reps and manufacturers and um, I don't know I have this long standing you know operational belief that I never burn a bridge and always you know keep relationships. Um, going. So I drafted letters to my reps and the fabric manufacturers. I um, sent another letter. I I had a different letter that went to our contributors, people who had written for us. And I had a different letter um, altogether for who were my competition at the time was the other online fabric stores. Um, And so the day before I made the announcement on the blog that we were going to close, I sent out I shot out over a hundred emails um, to all of those different groups of people and letting them know that this was my plan. And um, yeah, and then and then the day I announced on the blog, we did a newsletter in the morning, and um, and I woke up and you know like half my inventory was already sold by nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, because there was just a major sale. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So you sold off the inventory. And, and then, so then, you know, a few months out, you've shifted gears, the fabric is gone, and you're really a media company. You're, you're producing, you know, like an, an online magazine, essentially, which publishes twice a day and is the So Mama So that we think of now. So, like, how do you envision So Mama So right now? Like, what, when you meet people... Uh, or when you know of other sewists who read So Mama So, how do you want them to describe it? You know, like, oh, have you heard of So Mama So? It's a site that, like, what do you want them to fill in that blank with? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say that it's a site to go to um, first if you're looking for a sewing tutorial for a certain project. Um, you know, if you're looking for fun, fun patterns and projects to do that it's a site that you should browse first. Okay. So you kind of feel as though it's like a first stop that, in the that's, sewing world. That's what I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great vision. I mean, I, I think it's important to sort of have that in your mind. Like, what are we aiming for here? What is yeah. this going to be, you know, mm-hmm. to differentiate it in the marketplace? Because there are so many sewing blogs. So it's, you know... But I do think so much so Mama So is a standout, you know, and I do think it's sort of like it's almost like the number one media outlet, you know, like if you have a new book, you know, and you're gonna give away one free project from the book and launch your book's blog tour, your first stop is so mama so. I mean, would you agree that that seems like the spot? I, I would hope so. And thank you for saying that. But yeah, and that, that, that would be my goal and, and to keep that going. And, and actually, and one of my bigger goals, too, is to, um, you know, broaden our, our readership to, uh, you know, to other customer bases maybe that don't know about us. I do think that, you know, there's definitely pockets of people out there that, um, that we could still capture. Yeah. Who are some of those people? Yeah, I think there's just a there's a couple of demographics. I think there's a younger demographic, and I also think that there's an older demographic that um, that we could work on. Yeah, um, there's the, the the older demographic. I think are are women that are already sewing, um, and then there's a younger demographic of of women. I think, and I say women, women and men who um, are are learning, uh, up and coming. Right, 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 right. I agree with you. Um, and if you look at, like, who's on Cropsy, I mean, I think Cropsy's main customers are actually older women. So, um, yeah, I think Cropsy, I th- they think they when they started off, they were, um, you know, they were targeting more of the middle middle grounds, and, and then they found out that it was actually the older demographic that was uh, 
buying more classes. Right, 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 right. It's so interesting. So now your income on So Mama So, that pays the bills, um, yeah. the hosting fees and all the rest, um, and pays Beth as well. For, so you have you know two people here um, because it's a tremendous job to create a site like this and keep it going at the rate and quality that you do. That comes from advertising. Is that right? Is that where it all comes from or almost all? Yes. It's, okay. it's all, all of it. It's mm-hmm. all from advertising. And so I'm also imagining that managing the advertisers is a huge job as well. Soliciting ads, servicing the ads, all of the rest of that. It is. It's, it's a bigger um, bigger job than I, I kind of thought it was going to be. Um, it's, it's a constant, you know, every day everyday thing but it's also really fun for me and I think that it's something that um you know with with my experience of running the shop and having the experience selling fabric that I have a little bit more insight and am able to offer my advertisers um you know a little bit more of an experience than just throwing their banner up on our on our site so we work together kind of behind the scenes on different things that even um than just the banners right because you've been in their shoes exactly yeah yeah i imagine that's true um all right kathy we're going to turn to you and get a little bit of the background about pink chalk fabric so okay you've just announced that pink chalk fabrics will no longer be selling fabric and you'll be focusing on designing and teaching and you'll still be selling patterns online Mm -hmm. correct before we get into details of what led to the shift um for you just trace the journey of pink chalk from the early days what were you doing when you started it and like how did it begin Sure. Um, well, I started, let's see, I started my blog in 2006. Um, and I, because I had discovered online sewing blogs and I had sewn all my life, um, but I'd kind of put it away um, for a lot of years when I, you know, during years that I had my corporate career. And I had left that. Um, career to stay at home with my kids, and I started um, sewing again, like a lot. And then I discovered sewing blogs, and I started a blog myself to just share um, what I was making. And so that's how it began. And about a year after I had started the blog, um, I created a gift for my mom, um, which was this portfolio. It was like a fabric portfolio, and people were kind of like, you know, we want a pattern. We want a tutorial on how to do that. And um, it was more involved than just a simple tutorial. So I, I actually wrote my first sewing pattern um, and I published it and it was called The Note Taker. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. So I um, put time in in earnest to develop, to begin writing sewing patterns. Um, and I had, I had, a lot of initial success with that, um, which certainly motivated me to continue. Um, but the reality of it at the time, it, they were printed patterns. Um, and I, I remember someone telling me, well, if you sell 5,000 of, uh, of a pattern design, that that would be a huge success. Um, and so I had my spreadsheet out and it was like, okay, if I sold 5,000 of the mail sack, um, and I'm making, let's say $6 wholesale, it's like, that's like over the lifetime of the pattern. Like that's financially, that's not really going to provide a living for me. And so, um, I had a lot of blog readers, um, I'd had success with the sewing patterns and I, so I decided that um, I needed to basically sell other people's patterns, you know, because um, I didn't think I could do the volume of business with my own and actually make a living um, that could support me. Um, so the initial idea was to sell other people's patterns, and then um, fabric came into that mix as well. And I just started it, um, you know, out of a spare bedroom in my home. Um, I had a I I invested ten thousand dollars initially um, into the business um, to purchase fabric with, 
Um, and that's how I started. And I, um, I had the computer skills to get myself online. Um, so I downloaded, um, an open source, uh, shopping cart software, Zencart, um, got it modified enough, um, and got myself up and running. And that was 2008. So Pink Chalk Fabrics launched in, um, May of 2008. Um, and then the journey just kind of continued from there. Okay, so it really was um, blog to pattern de- designer mm-hmm. to um, to online storefront for other people's patterns, and then the supplies really to make those patterns. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, and then all right. So now let's go to the middle phase. So at some point, you moved out of the spare bedroom. Yes. <laughs> and so, so I moved. Yeah, I moved. Um, to taking over, so I had the spare bedroom, took over half the office, and then um, at that point it was growing, but I was still nervous about moving it out of the house. So I we made I made the decision, and my husband at the time um, to take over like the downstairs dining room and front hallway, which I did, and I ran it, and then it started to spill into the living room. And at that point, um, after about nine months of that, um, I decided it was time to get some commercial space. So in 2010, um, I moved it out of my house into commercial space, and that's where I'm still at. Um, And I've expanded, I expanded about two years ago. We took on additional space. Um, and that's where I am now. It's about 3,000 um, square feet, and we do everything here now. Okay. So, and you have some employees. Yes. How many, about how many do you have? Um, I have seven employees right now. Okay. All right. And this is not open to the public. It's just No, online. it's not. Yeah. It's, it's industrial, you know, commercial space um, that's not even zoned for retail. Um, I do open the space up. I, I host the Modern Quilt Guild here um, on Bainbridge Island once a month. Um, and our local customers come in for local pickup, but we're not. And if somebody comes, sometimes people visit and we welcome them in and, and they'll, we sit them down at a computer and they can order. But it's, it's not part of the business to do retail. Right. Okay. So tell me a little bit about kind of the nitty gritty of what it is to run an online fabric shop. Like I want to hear about Mm -hmm. the cut package ship part that we don't get to see. (laughs) You know, we, we, we look at the pretty pictures online. We pick what we want. Um, we, you know, process our payment and a few days Mm -hmm. later, a pretty package arrives from pink talk. So what happened in between there? Like, what does it really look like day to day? Yeah, there's, um, I kind of view it as, I kind of view it as three different pieces. Um, and one is that cut package and ship process, which is, is totally operational. And it happens the same way, you know, Monday through Friday. Um, basically we come in, the orders are printed out. Um, I've got a, a team of people that come in and cut fabric, um, and then it gets reviewed and then it gets packaged up. Um, and then we've got a, uh, somebody that does the mail in the afternoon and then it all goes to the post office. And that process occurs every day, um, of the week. And there's a lot that goes on in that process. Um, there's a need for accuracy. Um, there's a need to kind of adhere to standards I've set for packaging um, and how things are folded, how things go in the package. Um, and there's a lot of complexity to shipping, um, ensuring it's kind of the least cost option. And then you have like all the exceptions if there's short yardage. Um, or something's out of stock um, that we didn't realize was out of stock. There's a, a lot of inventory um, management that goes into it. Um, there's flaws in the fabric. <laughs> there's kind of like all these little exceptions that occur in that process. Um, and then the second piece of it is is the product, new product coming in the door. Um, and we scan, um, I've always scanned all my own images. Um, that's kind of a personal thing of, um, presenting a consistent scanned image of basically every piece of fabric that I sell. It's a, it's an eight and a half by eight and a half inch, um, image of that fabric. Cause it was important to me to provide scale. Um, so we scan all of our product um, and get that entered into the online 
uh, web shop. And then there's a marketing component um, that goes on that I kind of I kind of view it as like lifestyle photography. And I've always had this goal of taking photos that kind of give someone an experience of walking into a quilt shop so that, you know, when you see that display of fabric, um, I think it's, it's inspiring. Um, it gives you ideas about how, what your project might be. Um, we do a lot of color matching, um, and provide that information, um, visually, um, online so that again, there's, there's kind of that inspiration piece of, Hey, what could I do with this? And, and how does it match solids, which is, is one of my focus, one of my interests and one of our specialties here. Um, and that social media piece has just grown over the years. It used to be just the blog and, and then came Facebook and Pinterest. And then we started with Instagram last year. Um, and then, Twitter's kind of on the side. Um, we push our stuff to Twitter, but it's not an active um, social media platform for us. And and as I've grown, I actually have somebody that's almost pretty much full-time um, writing the blog and doing all that photography and social media stuff. Um, and then customer service is a big part. I have a full-time person for customer service. Um, I haven't, we take, uh, I have an 800 number, so we take orders over the phone and we respond to phone requests as well as email. Okay. So, and so, yeah, this is a giant job. Yeah. I mean, this is, nobody's <laughs> kidding here. This is huge. Exactly. It is a ton <laughs> of work. I mean, really. Well, then there's the whole technology piece as well. And that's, Yeah. <laughs> Right, sort of the, the the maintenance of the of the site itself. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right, which can also be a full time job. I mean, there's mm-hmm. really it's a lot. There's so many components there. So, one question I have is about sort of online fabric shops in general. What do you feel like an online fabric shop can offer that maybe a local quilt shop can't? And sort of, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot. I don't know. There's there's sort of a feeling like, well, you should support your local quilt shop, and you absolutely mm-hmm. should. Um, but I think it's also important to realize that an online fabric shop, an online fabric shop like Pink Chalk Fabrics, is also a mom and pop mm-hmm. venture in the same way that my local quilt shop is. Um, but it can offer some somewhat different products. So tell me about mm-hmm. sort of what it can offer that's different. Yeah, I for me in terms of what I view that I offer that's different is um, like for example the Kona Kona cotton um, solids that I care I carry over like 250 colors, um, and that's um, something that a local it would be very difficult for a local quilt shop to carry say that size of that depth of inventory, um, and I think the advantage for an online shop is. Um, like I've always carried only what I like. So when I buy fabric, I buy what I like and that's what I limit my offering to, which includes, you know, full collections of all these different solids, um, as well as a lot of basics. And there's a lot of local quilt shops. First of all, they wouldn't have the square footage, um, to support that. And on a regional basis, they've got to appeal to a regional customer base, um, where I've always had this attitude that, I just do what I do, um, and then people find me and my customers find me. Um, and when they see that and it's what they like, then that person becomes my customer. So I don't have to appeal um, to the the whole to a, a wide spectrum of tastes. I, I just do what I do. Right. So I think that's mostly, you know, for me, the difference um, between what I can do online that I could not do if I was just a local quilt shop. Right, and those are two really important and valuable things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you you don't have to be limited by what you can fit. I mean, you have this right. industrial space, so it doesn't have to be beautiful, mm-hmm. and you have a global audience. So, if you want to appeal, for example, to sort of people with more modern tastes, and maybe where you live, that's not the you know majority of shoppers. That's okay. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's really significant. And so, um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about this shift now. So um, a few weeks ago, you uh, announced that you're going to sort of, as you put it, make, be making a sharp right turn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so, so what is the sharp right turn about and kind of what, 
what were what were the months like that led up to it? Like, what was yeah. going through your mind? Um, yeah, I think it's something that I've that I've been noodling over for probably. Well, a friend of mine told me I've been. I started talking about this two years ago, which I don't really remember, but certainly um, since last fall in earnest, um, I've really been taking a hard look at um, what my day looks like um, and what my work looks like um, day to day. And, you know, it's, I think I kind of came at it from two different parts, um, places. And, and one for me is just personal, um, on what I want to do personally, what I want, um, kind of who I am and, and, you know, what, what really, what kind of fuels me creatively, um, and how I, and I've always taken, um, an approach with my work, you know, my financial work with, or what I do for, to make money, um, attempting to align that, um, kind of with my own value system and, you know, I, but I'm also, I'm also a business person too. And so I, um, I also was looking at it financially and it's the, you know, the bottom line for me is the fabric piece of the business. It, it was not providing me with the financial returns that I wanted. Um, and I took a really hard look at what I thought I would need to do um, to meet those financial goals. And I'll be honest, I, I just didn't see, um, I didn't see a way to do what I wanted to do um, and make it work for me. It didn't seem like it was worth the investment, both financially or um in terms of the amount of work that it would take. Um, and the, and the things that I felt needed to happen were like a new website, um, that took advantage of, of new technology, um, basically things to increase revenue, um, and, and continue to cut costs and the level of, um, of changes that would have to take place to make that um, a viable financial thing for me, I just, at the end of the day, I just didn't want to do it. You know, it's like, I didn't, I don't want to do a new website, you know, and I. (laughs) Can I just interject there? Sure. I came to that exact same crossroads too at one point and I had, I had looked at all the different platforms out there for e-commerce and I had talked to a bunch of people and I would talk to some designers and then I was like, I just, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> and then, you know, that was kind of like my decision was finally made for me. Mm-hmm. And that's, what, yeah, I'm that's curious, where I ended like, up. What, what is it about this idea of having to make a new website for a new e-commerce <laughs> site that just feels like, ugh, I can't go there. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, um, okay. One of the I, one of the realities of of running a business online and running it from your own website is for me. I I'll speak for myself. I you know there's there's a level of technological advancement and innovation that's taking place in online retail right now um, that that you need to keep up with. And my, you know, my website is, is obsolete basically in terms of technology. Um, I cannot move forward technology wise with, um, where I'm at. I'd have to move to a new platform. And I actually started a project last year with a local company and I pulled the plug on it at the end of the day. Um, because it, it wasn't what I wanted and it was going to cost a lot more money as well. Um, and the problem is there's not enough money. I wasn't making enough money to fund that to, to, for it to make sense as an investment. Um, and I don't want to continue to do that development work myself. Um, I'm capable of doing it, but I, and the problem is I don't see a way to pay somebody else to do it. Um, and have it be a, a cost-effective investment um, for the company. So I, I really do feel as though I, I just reached a wall of um, do I want to do this or not, um, and I don't. It's not how I want to spend my, my time. Right. So going forward, what is your business going to look like? Or have you Are you still kind of figuring that path out? I mean, it's really early after your 
you know, announcement. So yeah, and I yeah, I kind of um, <laughs> I I often. I just kind of go with my intuition oftentimes um, and my gut, um, and I have some kind of back-of-the-envelope um, ideas about how to um, how to make it work financially and meet my own personal objectives, um, creative objectives. So I just kind of made a list of things that... Um, that I feel can generate revenue in a way that doesn't involve um, that whole operational thing that we talked about with, you know, managing seven employees and managing this day-to-day operation. Um, And so for me, that ended up being that I kept the pattern component of the business, which is selling downloadable patterns by other designers, as well as printed patterns. Um, And when I looked at the revenue generated by that, specific category, um, it's kind of like, wow, why am I doing all of this other stuff when the revenue generated by just the patterns um, is is in an amount that I can actually make a go of this, and it's something I could run from my bedroom if I wanted to. Um, and so that was the first piece. And, and, and ultimately, emotionally, um, I wanted to keep the brand. I didn't want to sell it. Um, And so I decided that, okay, I can keep the brand. I can keep the patterns. And then um, I do plan on, like, monetizing the blog. I've never taken – and the newsletter. I've never taken advertising um, on – in my newsletter or on my blog um, all these years. And so that is um, something I'm going to do because I never wanted that competition with my fabric shop because – the reality is the majority of people that do advertising um, are other fabric shops. And so that gives me the option now to take that type of advertising. So that could be an income flow. Um, I also, earlier this year, I had a opportunity to do a presentation and teach a class um, at the Kitsap Quilters Guild and here in my local area. And I loved that. I did that in June and I had when I left the class after that day and, and the, the presentation the couple days before, I was I felt so like energized by the experience, and it's like I've got to do more of this um, because this really fills up my tank. And so I, that's a third piece of this is I would like to just get back to designing and teaching um, because that's what I love to do. And, and that's really what my blogging and my business started out as was me writing about how to sew um, and sharing that with other people. And that really is still what I want to do. Um, and the, the growth of the fabric business over time um, just demanded more and more of my, um, you know, my time in a way that I no longer was doing the creative parts of the business. Right. So the blog will now go back to being your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm kind of excited about. Um, cause I, I reached a point in blogging, um, where I felt like I'd said everything I wanted to say. Um, cause for me, the first, you know, the first years of that blog were really important to me personally. Um, it was a way to, um, express a part of me that had been silent for a long time. And, and then I got, then I reached a point where as the business grew, it was almost too overwhelming for me. Um, and I, I didn't want to connect any longer <laughs> in that platform, but now I'm kind of back to where like, Hey, maybe I, you know, I think I have some more things to say and I'm looking forward to writing again and, yeah, I think you, you know, on a personal level. Yeah. You definitely have a lot to say. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to reading what you write. And Kristen, just to get back to So Mama. So, so you also were selling patterns designed by other people, both print and PDF, I, I think, and yeah. chose to cl- close that portion of So Mama So as well. And I just wanted to go back and make sure we touched on why you chose to do that. Because as Kathy said, that kind of stuff is a little easier. Like there's not, you know, bolts of fabric and cutting and, and all of that kind of thing. So why did you also decide to close that part? 
Well, because I wanted to um, put, I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was competing with any of my potential advertisers. So I would just decided like, I'm just going to completely get out of the business of selling, sewing stuff. Um, and, and then I, there's no, there's no rub there when it comes to, to working with my advertisers. I see. Okay. That, that makes sense. And you still write for So Mama So. I mean, periodically there will be an article or a tutorial. There was one recently written yeah. by you. And, um, but, but I would say most of the content is written by contributors. And do you miss writing for it more or, you know, are you happy with the mix here? Do you feel a little bit like happy, like I'd like to get back to doing it more? I mean, how, how are you feeling about that? Well, I, I can, you know, whenever I feel the urge, I can definitely throw something up there. It's it. So I don't feel like I don't have that opportunity. Um, so Mama So has never really been my voice. Um, I've always just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a private blogger. I, I've never really written about my, my children and, you know, my home life and things like that. I've always just kept it, um, straight up sewing blog. And, um, so I don't know, that's, that just, that aspect of it, of, of having a, a voice of my own there. It's, it's never been an appeal for, to me. For you. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. the mix is good. Um, okay, so I think if it's okay with you guys, we can shift over to kind of talking about our recommendations, unless there was something sort of important for people to know about both of these businesses and blogs and how they've shifted mm-hmm. over time and, and what it was like to make that shift that you wanted to add. Well, I, I can I bring up something completely different? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, related and you know there's just been a lot of talk online lately because when Kathy made her announcement that she was closing um, within the same week there were three other online fabric stores that announced at the same time so there's been a lot of um, you know uh, Sandra at um, Contemporary Cloth is one of them and she has been open since 2001 Um, and there's just been a lot of talk on Facebook about you know, why and how and, um, you know, what to do. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Cappy has to say about all this too, but I do think that there's, um, some, some issues about the way that people in this industry pay themselves and, um, and get paid. It's not just online fabric store owners. I do think that there is this tendency in the industry to um, follow your passion is, is such a, a phrase that people toss around. And so it's hard to follow your passion and then draw the line at some point and say, okay, well, I'm passionate about this, but I need to get paid at the same time. Um, so I was guilty of that. Um, I loved my fabric store. I needed to have that fabric store. I felt like I was really living the dream, but then I really wasn't paying myself a living wage. And, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of be honest about that. I don't think that a lot of fabric designers are, are making, a, you know, I, I think people would be shocked at what fabric designers make, how little they make. And um, that forces them to do things like turn to designing collections for Joanne's, which in turn, I think, perpetuates the just problems with the industry and, and small business. Mm. So. Yeah, right. Because you're right. I mean, people don't, people don't feel free, I feel like, to talk about those financial realities. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you probably know, I'm a huge proponent of talking about financial realities. I just um, posted my third quarter income report on my blog this week. So I right. definitely feel like it's important. And the reason that I do it beyond sort of being slightly crazy is that I, I feel <laughs> like it's important for people to see, like, this is what it takes and this is what comes in for all of that work. Um, right. I agree. Yeah, and and yeah. unless people say it, there's you're, you're left guessing, and mm-hmm. it, things that seem incredibly prestigious and oh, I want that for myself someday, 
um, you know, aren't also followed up by, well, how much does it cost to, you know, buy a, an entire collection of fabrics to, to, mm-hmm. re, to cut up and resell online? I mean, what is, you know, what is the, the real cost basis here? And, and mm-hmm. can you afford to do this? You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a dream to design fabric or just to run an online fabric shop, but what, you know, what is the real money involved here? Yeah, the Fab Shop Network, which is an industry trade publication, did a survey of um, fabric store owners and most mostly their local quilt shops. And I don't know, I don't even remember what it was, Kathy. Maybe you saw that, but it was something like thirty yeah, percent of shop owners weren't even paying themselves. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's it's yeah, an it's, industry yeah. that's being run on passion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than any kind of sound business decisions. (laughs) And how much of that, in in your opinion, um, is because it's an industry run by women? I mean, I feel like, you know, predominantly. Now, maybe not at the top level. Sort of maybe at the top level, it actually is run by men. Um, You know, sort of in the ownership (laughs) level. Am I right? I mean, am I I wrong that up? Yeah, definitely. I feel like at the top echelon, it's run by men. And then it's sort of the passion level, it's run by women. And that is where the disconnect is coming. Yeah, I agree. I um, have worked with SCORE a couple of times, you know, that their SCORE is like, I don't even remember what the acronym stands for, but they're business advisors. They're usually retired um, business owners, successful business owners, and then they volunteer to help, uh, you know, entrepreneurs. Um, and I've worked with them several times and it's usually, you know, older white men and they always like, look at my numbers, like I am crazy. Um, and they just... I think it's probably a symptom of the 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 industry and um that it is it is women and and I don't know you know I don't really know what to say about that except that I think your observation is correct and yeah yeah, yeah. and I well I guess I feel like it's time for us to start talking about these issues like I feel like the more women who are you know, small business owners in the sewing industry and are willing to stand up and say, like, this is what it is. This is what, you know, these contracts are offering, et cetera. And, you know, it, the better off the better off we are because we all know what the numbers are. I mean, if you're making these decisions in the dark and you don't know what the numbers are, how can you really advocate for yourself? You know, that's, that's my thinking. Yeah, I agree, Abby. I, you know, and that's um, from my standpoint. Yeah, somebody called me last week, actually, and I, I ended up, chatting with her on the phone and when anyone reaches out to me for um for a conversation about this topic i'm always up for it because and that's and and i look forward to writing about it more too because um you know for me i you know i'm a single mom now i've got two um teenagers a 16 year old and a 19 year old i mean i support myself i don't have um any other sources of income so i and i think in some ways that's that's a good thing like if i you know if i had a husband <laughs> like paying all the bills and taking care of everything maybe i'd just keep running the fabric shop you know and not making enough to, um, support myself. But the fact that I have that, you know, I have that limitation where I need to support myself. Um, it actually, I feel like in some ways it, it makes me more creative and it, it pushes me forward in a way. Um, so I'm actually grateful for that opportunity to, to be able to say, okay, I really have to make this work and how am I going to do it? Um, but I, I do think because there, there is a lot of, um, kind of denial too about, um, being in, you know, and and the ego comes in, um, of creating something and, and having something, but yeah, financially, if it's not working, um, from a business perspective, um, we need to continue to have those conversations and, and also, you know, as designers and authors and all of that kind of stuff, we, um, we need to be getting, you know, we need to be savvy about how we negotiate, um, contracts and, and our, our, our rights to our designs, um, and what we're getting paid, um, for different things. I've had a lot of experiences, um, over the last, you know, seven, eight years of, um, and this whole thing about what we provide for free, um, and and also then from a business perspective, what I pay people, um, and 
there's small things even like even with the Chalk Talk newsletter, whenever I feature a customer project, I always give them a $20 gift certificate because it's important for me to say, you know, I'm using your project to make money for my business. Um, and, and you need to be remunerated in some way, right? That's, um, I could just say, oh boy, look, I'm featuring your project, <laughs> you know? Thanks. And like that should be enough. And I think a lot of people sometimes just want to see their work featured or they want to see it um, celebrated um, and then they don't get paid for it. Um, and I, I do think we need to to continue that conversation so that 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 people that, you know, as designers and creators, we, we get paid fairly for our, our contributions and our work. Kristen, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that that's something that you think a lot about, about um, the people who design um, all of these different tutorials and um, patterns and projects for So Mama So, and your sort of feeling about how are you working with them to make it worth their while. Because I know that's a big topic that you think about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to... It's really hard to pay people um, because especially when we want to have, um, you know, we might have 15 or 20 different contributors in a month and I don't have that kind of payroll <laughs> capacity. But what we have tried to do is come up with a way to compensate people um, through gift certificates to our fabric shops that, that are our sponsors. So um, yeah, this is our model right now is that we feel like it's kind of a win-win for everybody where the, um, the fabric store will provide a gift certificate for the contributor. And in exchange, then we put the, their banner on the, 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 the post, the post that they've written, um, as a, you know, that this is a sponsored by the, this fabric shop. And that seems to, to work pretty well, um, for right now, we're talking about maybe a different model where we're actually um, hiring just a certain group of contributors and paying them cash. Uh huh. And you know, so it, I, I'm imagining the revenue part of it has to grow enough and be um, stable enough that you feel as though, you know, if you're going to bring on this group of people, you're promising them a certain level of compensation that you have to then be able to follow through on so you have to feel confident that that's what you can afford exactly yeah it's it's hard to get to that point but we would like to but i've always felt like um you know we we need to compensate in some way even if it's just like a token of our appreciation so we've always provided gift certificates or we do add exchanges too so some of our contributors, you know, we just throw their, their banner up on our site for a few weeks. Right. And I remember even when you had the fabric shop, you would send your own fabric um, to contributors to make projects with that would yes. then be posted on So Mama So's blog. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's such a big, it's, it's such a big topic to think about because you do have tremendous traffic to offer. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're one of the top sewing blogs, so you're going to be sending lots of traffic. And so I think there could be a tendency to say, well, I'm paying you in traffic. Yeah. You know, like, um, you're getting links and that's what you're getting. And you know, what you do with it is up to you, but if you you know, if you contribute to us, we pay you in traffic. But, but is traffic really compensation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the traffic is great, and that's probably the main reason that most people do it because then, you know, it's a sixty dollar gift certificate doesn't really compensate people people for the amount of time it takes to write a tutorial usually, but um, but at least it's something and it's a gesture that we feel is important because um, we just want people to know that we to understand that we appreciate them and want to pay them and um you know we do what we can right right that's just such a good point all right i want to squeeze in one recommendation at least so here we go <laughs> Kathy, okay we're gonna start with you you have okay. a lot of really really good ones on this <laughs> list and i'm like gonna have a hard time did one pop out for you that you were like dying to talk about before um yeah i mean the big one i mean besides my new tennis shoes i'm loving them <laughs> but what which, i really <laughs> which say the name of those so we can look those, them up yeah those on it um it's on 
tiger. Okay. Uh, she was them. Okay, perfect. But the the big thing is that book that I read, um, The War on Art, um, by Stephen um, Pressman. I read that. A friend of mine um, told me about that book about a month ago, and I finally put it on my um, Kindle, and I read it in, like, you know, this 24-hour time span. Um, I could not put it down, and it was like it was like this book that so accurately like articulated my inner world of, of thought that it was just so powerful. And it, it was really, it really had a big effect on me because it, it talks about kind of the first part of the book is about our fears. Um, and you know, it's like this fear of our greatness of our magnificence and letting that out. Um, and then it kind of moves into like, you know, we, as as creators, as artists, um, as creative people, we 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 owe it to the world to let those gifts sing, and and then it kind of moves into it's kind of just this huge motivational book um, wrapped around just the again I I've never read anything that so accurately kind of just got to my core, you know, of how I feel about this, this whole thing, um, that I'm doing. And it, it was, I would just love for people to read it and, and write me and talk about it. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. So the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It sounds yeah. great. And it sounds like great timing too. Like mm-hmm. you can't, it's, it's oh, it was like time. a gift. Yeah, yeah. How you come across the right book at the right mm-hmm. moment. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Kristen, your list is all books. Uh, And they're all um, fiction that you're sort of returning to. And um, so was there one that you really think people should should get and should read? Oh, well, I don't know. Like I mentioned to you in my email that I... I was um, just really frustrated with contemporary fiction that was being released just because it kept, I don't know, the themes kept coming up, repeating themselves, and everything seemed like it was all um, you know, young adult stuff. And anyway, and part of a series, I just got so frustrated with um, stuff that was coming out now. So I started exploring books from the you know previous decades that I've missed so I guess there's one that I recently read that I recommend people read, especially if they're like Downton Abbey fans. It's Remains of the Day. Um, it's just such a beautiful book. So I would recommend that one. And I love to revisit classics because I feel like no matter how well educated you are, there are books that you just miss, you know, like you just never got to David Copperfield, you know, like it just <laughs> exactly. didn't happen, you know, um, and like I never read Moby Dick. I mean, it's terrible, but here we are. So, <laughs> you know, like I feel like let's go back and read them. And, and I mean, they're they're famous and, and, and well-known and classics for a reason. And maybe you like it and maybe you don't, but, you know, one ought to read them and find out what they're about. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. <laughs> and I have one recommendation, which is something I tried last night with my artist group. It's called gelatin printing. I don't know if you've ever done this before. It's cool. You make gelatin in a sheet pan, and um, it's really strong. So you use clear gelatin with no flavor, um, and you use, like, 12 packets for, like, two cups of water. So it's, like, this really thick, strong gelatin. You let it sit overnight in your like rubber. Yeah, when you when you take it out of the sheet pan, it literally is like rubber. It's like a rubber pad, basically. Mm-hmm. And then um, you can use acrylic paint or special block printing ink, whatever. I have acrylic paint. so And then you use a brayer. You know, you roll it out, and you just ink up the whole plate, okay? Um, and then you put some stencils down. Like, you can just cut out some squares and some circles, hole punch, whatever. Um, put them all over, and then lay a piece of paper on top and just rub. And then mm-hmm. take it off. And you have a print, and then you can print the ghost. So you can take off all of the stencils and then print the ghost on a separate piece or back on that same piece. And then you can clean off the gelatin, spray it with some water, and wipe it clean with paper towels, and print another on top or another piece. And you can keep going. The gelatin lasts in your refrigerator for a week, and you can use Hmm. that thing for a long time. When it gets really warm, apparently, it kind of loses its effectiveness, so you should sort of stick it back in the fridge. But... They're really, it's really, really cool. They sell these gelatin plates that you can buy for like 20 bucks and they last forever, but this is one you can make at home. And if you don't have a printing press and you like printmaking, so cool. And it's cool. not something I would ever have done, but 
I'm in this artist group locally, and we did it last night, and it was so fun. So cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, I recommend it. <laughs> <If you're> looking, <laughs> looking for some creative experimentation. So. Um, well, Kathy and Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh and Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking to both of you, and I feel like I learned a lot from talking to you. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. And you can visit Kathy online at pinkchalkfabrics.com and Kristen at somamaso.com. And you've been listening to the Walsh and Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, WalshyNaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. If you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.